you really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 15 of season one of Can I Comment? My name is Michael. Normally, I'm here with Jake and James, but we're taking this month to jump into some conversations we had with some guests over the last few weeks. So we're jumping in today uh, into a conversation we had with a good friend of ours, Steve Burgess. Steve and his wife, Don are senior pastors of C3 Grow in Auckland, New Zealand. Steve also serves on the global board of C3 Church Global, which is the church movement that we are a part of at C3 Los Angeles. And uh, Steve is just an all-around amazing guy. He's a great pastor. He's a brilliant theologian. He's hilarious. And so we thought we would have a conversation with Steve around what we're calling toxic theology. So basically what we did is we went out on the internet. We found some um, tweets, some Instagram posts, some blog posts uh, from just different people that call themselves theologians. And what I did is I just read to Steve and Jake uh, some of these different theological claims and statements and let them sort of respond, pick it apart, and uh, jump into a discussion from there. So this is an episode with Steve Burgess called Toxic Theology. Before we go into uh, the interview, though, just want to remind you, if you're loving the conversation so far, if you're liking the podcast, do us a huge favor and uh, subscribe in Spotify, iTunes, uh, or on YouTube. Do us a huge favor, rate the podcast, share it around. Um, it's just been so amazing to hear from so many different people really around the world who have been loving the conversations that we have been having. So do us a favor and spread the word, and we're going to jump into this conversation with Steve Burgess, and we'll see you right back here next week. Talk to you soon. Well, we're here with Steve Burgess. Here we are. And um, tell us about yourself. Tell us about yourself, Steve. Tell us My where you're from. Is- what do you do? Why do we have you on this podcast well i won a competition um, got it I, I entered in a competition it turns out i was the only one who entered and, yes uh, that's so true Pastors were very good at winning yeah uh, to be on our i did one of those i did I one of those ins- illness and uh, so this was what, on my bucket list this is what i wanted to do before i died was be on here. our well, be actually, on I our podcast meet, i actually wanted to meet jess uh, that's what was it was the, the main thing i wanted to do before i died and uh, in order to do that, I need to uh, speak to you. Yeah, that makes sense. We're the gatekeeper. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our friend Steve Burgess. Steve Burgess. The extremely irreverent Steve Burgess. From New Zealand. From New Zealand. Currently lives in, in New Zealand. And around Auckland. And uh, in, in and around. Is a Wrong pastor. Is a, uh, I guess we would, Steve, would you characterize yourself as a theologian? Well, everybody's a theologian in a sense. Everyone's on the spectrum. We're all right. on the somewhere right spectrum on of theologian. Theological spectrum. Somewhere on the yeah, theological you're somewhere spectrum. Somewhere on there. Yeah. Um, and here we the are. Here we are. Theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve is probably one of the first. Uh, I don't know if "fan" is the right word yep. of the podcast listener, but, but but one of the first listeners. Fan might be generous. One of the first supporters. We are getting fans. Fan. We are. I, yeah. I would say fan. 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 Fanboy. Fanboy. Steve's a, Steve's a can I comment fanboy. So we wanted to do something. We wanted to bring Steve on because of his uh, his wit, his uh, comedy, but also because he is he is very very smart, right? Especially theologically. Yeah. And so we wanted to bring you on, Steve, and trial out a new thing that we're doing called toxic theology. Okay, uh, because I don't know if you know this, but the church is full of toxic theology. 
And so what we want to do is we went to the internet, to Twitter, to Instagram, to really some of the most well-regarded uh, social media theologians out there. And we're just going to, we're going to read, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some, some tweets to you and Jake, and uh, we're just going to get your, your responses to them. But and we want to talk about them. And we want to talk about them. You know, we want to talk about them. We want to yeah. talk about them. But before we do that, though, Steve, I know that when we first asked you to come on the podcast, you said you had some really strong opinions about Christians and Donald Trump. So I wanted to at least give you an opportunity <laughs> first to speak to that before we jump into the theology of this. Oh, if, you, if, you, if you still want to. Is, it, is this to make sure that our listeners don't just automatically like, characterize him? Come, when I agreed to come on the show, it was a kind of a geopolitical, theological commentary. And, and then uh, you've basically just jumped right off the deep end and become the x <laughs> With your uh, with, with, with your UFO show, Steve yes. Steve texted us this morning. He said, uh, it, "I just I literally woke up to this text." He said, "A haiku agreed to come on your show." Then seconds later, you became the Twilight Zone because <laughs> of a previous episode about you, comedian, comedian, theologian, theologian, poet, Steve, poet, Steve troll. Burgess, troll. what I, I troll? The, best, the way I would characterize myself best is is troll. It's troll. Trump. Yeah. What, um, uh, but what, what did you think of the UFO episode? Like, what do you think about UFOs and are people in New Zealand talking about that? Like we are in here in America? No, uh, no. It, um, probably, uh, do I think about UFOs? No. Uh, are people talking about UFOs? No. Got it. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I was thinking about that this morning. If the, yeah. This is like a distinctly American. Right. Uh, thing it, right. it seems they like just, a, an American fascination. Got it. Which leads me to believe, and we didn't get into this in our UFO episode, but the uh, I think one aspect of the whole thing is like information is power, is control, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. like if we can be convinced of this one way or another, right? Surely that only gives more power to nefarious people, nefarious, nefarious anyway. actors. Yep. Yep. Thoughts, Steve? Um, cool. No. You cool. Can have UFOs. Um, <laughs> I, I just think there there is this theme with uh, Jake being skeptical, basically of UFOs, vaccinations. Yep. <laughs> He's skeptical uh, of me too, Steve. That's, the, is, that's really what it all comes down to. Skeptical, just generally. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, let's get into okay. It. Let's get into it. Let's get into the serious business. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read this. I I sent them to you guys just a few minutes ahead of time so you could see them as well. Um, we're not going to say who these are from because we don't, this is the goal here is to not, uh, shame people. No. Um, so we're not going to say who said these, but we will read what they said. So are here's you, one here. Still on Twitter? No, I am on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. 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 I spend too much time on there. Wait, way too much time. Um, here we go. I have to be reminded of this often. The question we should be asking isn't, am I getting the Bible right? But what kind of life is our reading of the Bible producing? Love matters more. Is that a book? That must be a book. Okay. The question we should be asking isn't, am I getting the Bible right? But supposedly better question, what kind of life is our reading of the Bible producing? Is it Steve? a false dichotomy? Yes, that's uh, where yeah. my mind goes. I, I think if we're not getting the Bible right, the life that our reading of the Bible produces won't be right either. Um, if, if, uh, whatever life is downstream 
from a incorrect reading of the Bible, no matter what that looks like socially or civilly, uh, is, is, is not going to be the kind of life I think that God intends for us to, to, to live on the other end of reading our Bibles. That would be my initial thought. Mm-hmm. But what do you yeah. think, Jake? I would definitely agree. Um, I think that what seems to be on display to me in that kind of comment is the idea that, um, well, number one, my guess would be that this person doesn't hold to a view of the Bible that maybe an Orthodox Christian would hold to. And so the discussion itself, to me, ends up being kind of a... um, uh, it just leads to a, like a nowhere destination because we're not arguing from the same, we're not appealing to the same source of authority right. um, in regards to what characterizes a, uh, a good life or a right life, you know, however this person measures that. Um, and so for, for me and for 2000 years of church history, the, the authority is, is the Bible. Um, and to uh, live in a way that um, lines up with what God lays out for us in the Bible is what is going to produce uh, the life, as you say, that God intends for us. Um, but I find that a lot of the time, these kinds of discussions with um, a lot of people, they, just, they don't go anywhere profitable because we're just starting from two completely different places. Um, I think also, too, what's rooted in here is uh, focusing on maybe... Uh, certain aspects of God's character, God's nature, like love and neglecting other aspects of God's character, right. uh, like righteousness, holiness, justice. Um, and so my guess would be that if I were to read between the lines, the, the, really the, the remark is, unless your reading of the Bible leads you to be uh, affirming of, you know, all different kinds of manners of life, um, then your reading of the Bible is not producing the right kind of life. That's an assumption, but that would be me reading between the lines. Right. So if you're problematic, if you're problematic civilly, uh, then you're obviously not reading the Bible correctly. Is, exactly. is basically what he's saying. Or if, yep. if if I find you problematic civilly, then exactly your your handling of scripture is off. And I, I think I mean John Stott. One, John Stott, one of my favorite theologians, said, uh, you know, regarding the authority of scripture. Before we can agree, we must first agree on how we will agree. Right. In mm-hmm. other words, uh, if we're not playing under the same rules, which is Scripture is authoritative and Scripture says what it says, and we respond accordingly. Right. Um, if 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 we are imposing our own ideas, cultural values, expectations, and using those as the lens through which we read Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're, we're all going to, it's, it's going to be like one of those, um, you know, choose, choose your path books. Remember those mm-hmm. ones that you used mm-hmm. to read? Did you, mm-hmm. did you have those? So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in a sober reading of scripture and then, and then a healthy conversation about what, what living out of that looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know this author and I don't know the book. Um, the title is obviously love matters more. Um, the Bible teaches us that God is love, certainly, um, but love as the Bible defines it, not love as we define it. Um, so again, I haven't read this book, so I would be—I uh, I wouldn't jump at all to um, condemn the uh, the motivation b- behind the, the statement. But I do think 
in just red right there at face value, it does lead down a deceptive um, path of um, love being the virtue to end all virtues. But the way that we define love is based oh. upon how culture today defines love instead of how um, the scriptures define love, which mm. is essentially to will will the good of another person. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's unfortunately, it's a tainted word now. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's 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 a suspiciously titled work. Yeah, exactly. More. Yeah, yeah. It's similar to like a love wins, right? From from Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and, and yeah. I mean these, these sorts of tweets as well. Um, they they kind of say a lot, and yet they say nothing at all. Mm-hmm. As our friend Dave Fletcher likes to say, "Word salad." It's basically <laughs> word just a word, salad. word salad. <laughs> That's good. Well, right, let's go. There's a kind of health to it. I, I mean, I, I, I would say that's a generous sort of character. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's yep. actually good. Yeah. All right. Next, let's see what we got here. Okay. This one um, says this. It says, Christianity tried to give us an identity in Christ, but all it did was strip it away. When you're too busy trying to figure out who someone else wants you to be, you're never going to love, accept, and discover who you really are. So this is a statement on, uh, I guess, the difference between identity in Christ and what this person would believe would be just our true identity, our true true self. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's very postmodern. Um, it reminds me, uh, Rousseau said that uh, was it every, every man is born in a uh, man is born free, and everywhere he is in chains. Mm. Um, and the idea behind uh. A person and people being uh, uh, socially constricted um, by either things like religion or um, other societal institutions, marriage, things like that. Um, and there's this idea in our in our culture right now, um, especially in the West, where uh, if who my authentic self is um, is challenged in any way by uh, some kind of external ideal, then that must mean that I am being oppressed or repressed. Um, and that's what makes the scriptures such a point of conflict for a lot of people is that it challenges the very notion that um, who I feel I am, uh, whoever I think my, th- my authentic self is, um, is, is not uh, automatically righteous or, or correct. Um, and so that's what I see in this, in this idea that Christianity tried to give us an identity in Christ, but all it did was strip it away. Um, and then he likens identity in Christ as being too busy trying to figure out who someone else wants you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what actually identity in Christ is about. Identity in Christ is, is not about working for something. It's about receiving something. It's the righteousness right. of Christ being imputed to us as a free gift. Okay. And uh, from that reception of the free gift comes the uh, the, the growing and understanding of what is righteousness, um, and what is pleasing to God. And, uh, if I, as a Christian believe that God is with me by his Holy spirit, how can I partner with the Holy spirit, um, to walk in that righteousness? Um, and so it's, it's really not about, uh, trying to grab a hold of something. It really is just about receiving a a gift. Um, but that is going to require us at the baseline to say, uh, I need to receive something other than what I am intrinsically. Right. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, the Christian life is a putting off of an old self with its behaviors. So the self is more than its behaviors. It's a big bundle of attitudes and emotions and proclivities that are put off. Mm. And then the putting on of an already created in holiness, new self with new attitudes and new behaviors and new proclivities and new motivations via the renewal of our minds. Um, and that is an exciting journey. I mean, this, this doesn't sound anything like my experience, but I, I would say that uh, when you're too busy trying to figure out who someone else wants you to be, you're never going to love, accept, and discover who you really are. I would say that is true when the other person is anyone other than Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So when it's anyone, and and so when you're you're trying to figure out who, uh, you know, another person or who society or who the church wants you to be, um, that can have a profoundly disruptive uh, effect on your life. And it may even result in you not being able to love, accept and discover who you really are. But Mm -hmm. uh, when you are seeking to uh, figure out who Christ wants you to be, and when you're seeking to, uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, uh, you actually find a greater degree of love, acceptance, and purpose and mm-hmm. joy. That would be that would be my experience anyway. But I mean, you can see how it gets warped. I mean, you can see how the you know the societal and cultural ideas of the church or whatever their experience has been can get kind of conflated uh, or, or, or kind of enmeshed with their whole concept of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly I think when you yield to Christ, you do discover a lot of, uh, a lot of love acceptance and true uh, peace and identity, I suppose. Yeah. The only thing I would say, you know, as I guess something to tack on to that is to, uh, to, uncover who we really are in Christ, putting on the new self, as you say, is itself uh, meant to be, as far as I understand, somewhat of a communal project, right? Like we're, right. we're placed into the church. And so uh, we're, we're best not reading this book, you know, for a, in a lifetime of solitude. We're better to read it in, uh, in the context of sharing it with other Christians and um, helping one another apply it to our lives. And so I guess my, my biggest caution would just be that I, I think an attitude like this in general is going to reject any kind of external application of the Word of God to your life. Um, and I think that that would be a, a, a mistake um, to make that kind of your modus operandi for, for living. I think that we should be open um, as Christians to um, people helping us apply what we consider to be God's word to the way that we live. And that's not an assault on your identity. That's not an attack on who you are. Your feelings are not your identity. Um, I mean, the way that I think about it, and I think this is, uh, um, it's a, a recent recent shift in in society, probably over the last couple of centuries, in that meaning is not something we uh, prescribe. Meaning is not something that we necessarily make. Meaning is something that is uh, intrinsically present 
in God's creation. And so meaning is more something that we uncover. Mm. Um, and that to, to me comes down to God is the creator of everything, uh, including us. Um, to, to me, the journey of identity is who has God made me to be? Who has God made humanity to be? How has he created us to live? What's his purpose? Um, buzzword that Steve always loves me saying, you know, uh, what's the teleology? (laughs) (laughs) Um, to me that, that all ties into this conversation, uh, a lot in that I, I don't, I don't prescribe meaning from the inside out. Meaning is discovered kind of externally to me as I understand how God has created things. Um, and then in a sense, I, my role is to kind of conform my life, my thinking, my thoughts, whether you want to call that renewal or putting on the new self, um, to God's meaning. What are your thoughts yeah, on that? The, well, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, I, I just quoted there when I, you know, putting off the old self and putting on the new self by the renewal of the spirits of our mind is, is from Ephesians four, which is all about the church. And it's, it's all about, uh, you know, Paul's vision for the church where we would be a part of a body and in that body we would all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, all, it's all built on, it, 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 there is this kind of idea that that begins in and is completed in uh, a communal context. Mm-hmm. And we're all part of this body and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh-huh. So in in the church, we're more needed than we appreciate. Mm. And we need the church more than we appreciate, um, which I think is an absolute genius design by Jesus because it, it kind of guards us from being so puffed up that we think we have no need of anyone. We can just be matured on our own. Mm. Right. We also get to contribute to the sanctification or the spiritual formation of others, which is a which is a great privilege. And this sort of thinking sounds like uh, it sounds like the byproduct of isolation or, or disconnection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it sounds like the sort of thing that somebody thinks when they don't have their thoughts challenged in a uh, intelligent community of faith. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly hasn't been my experience and, and I, I don't see it in scripture. This, uh, th- this idea that, um, um, you know, we, 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 we lose, uh, anything when we have our identity formed in, in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and if we do lose something, uh, it is only because, losing. It's worth losing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, great. Ultimately, yeah, ultimately, it's gain. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're not just called to put off. We're called to put on. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we put off was not worth wearing. And what we put on is 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 um, is grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So the next one, we're going to combine a couple of these because they kind of play in the same play in the same world. Um, so the first one is this evangelicals say, we will hand you over to Satan. Do it based on your book, meaning the Bible. Satan hasn't killed or tortured anybody. Your God though, 
millions dead at his hands and most of, and most all of humanity is burning for eternity based on your theology hand me over satan feels safer than your god and then the next one that again kind of is is in that same world is wouldn't it be giving satan what he wants if god actually sent people to hell wouldn't god be working towards the devil's goal by not reconciling all to himself wouldn't limited salvation or salvation based on faith be a missed opportunity in the purpose of Jesus? I mean, God, he is literally God. He can do whatever he wants, but apparently he's choosing to support Satan, I guess. That's hostile. <laughs> There's a lot going on in these couple uh, of tweets, but would the people who wrote these consider themselves Christians? Uh, one of them probably, would definitely. Probably, uh, progressive, progressive Christians. Yes, a right. progressive Christian, correct. Yeah. Do you oh, want to I, I was actually I was actually going for your kind of snap response, your kind of Pavlovian, which is no Christianity at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't take the bait. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Progressive Christianity is not Christianity. Um uh, that's, I, my, that's I, my stance. It, it sounds it sounds progressive. Um so we start with the first one. Evangelicals say we will hand you over to Satan. That's a direct reference to uh uh First Corinthians five. First Corinthians five. Right? I've never said we will hand you over to I Satan. Paul says it. I think Paul says it in a couple of places. He does. Uh, I think he he says it in regard to him. Aeneas is that the name of the guy? And uh, I think it's First Corinthians five. It, and uh, I think it, the guy it, in First Corinthians five is not named. I think that's just a general person in the church who slept with his stepmom. Um, and evidently it's, the it's Corinthians one of those were. People. Yeah. People <laughs> I I think the the other one is. Um, uh, elsewhere than First Corinthians five, but um, so apparently evangelicals are just out there in the streets, just saying to people, "We will hand you over to." We're going to hand you over to state, yeah, to Satan. Yeah, I mean, it, probably my every probably time. My every time I hear you preach, Steve, that's what you say for sure. You work that into your messages. <laughs> well, that, that, that's speak, my right? benediction at the end. At, at the end of the uh, at the end of the service, I say, uh, "Right, church." Uh, go into all the world, I now hand you over to Satan. <laughs> yeah. Next time that. So, um, so, there's, so, it's, so go it's ahead. Kind of like Paul's, it, it, you know, it's 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 a, a figure of speech for Paul. Yeah. And I think it is to say uh, that because Satan is the god of the sage, exactly. I'm putting you out of the church. The church. Yeah. And in doing so, you know, I'm I'm hoping that you repent and return. Exactly. Or I'm washing my hands of the situation. Be interesting to know what the uh, whoever said that to this person, if indeed someone did say that to this person, uh, what they were in, what what they were trying to say, what they were intending by saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, are, are they saying? you're not actually a believer? Are they just washing their hands with the conversation? Were they just exasperated um, by, by, by this person? I'm not sure. But certainly that was, that was the, the intention Paul was saying, I'm putting you out of the, the, the church. Yeah. Um, that's how I understand it as well. It's literally the context for Paul saying that in 1 Corinthians 5 is uh, a person in the church is participating in what we would say is sinful behavior and what most like even non-believing secular people today would be like, oh yeah, you slept with your stepmom. That's not good. That's not cool, man. Like, I don't know if that's a great idea, right? So like, I don't, I don't think too many people would be hesitant to say that that's not 
awesome behavior, although maybe society is going in that direction. Um, Paul's uh, instruction for them to hand him <laughs> over to Satan goes in line with him uh, saying, hey, we need to step this person outside of the church. And then, as I understand it, in 2 Corinthians, Paul instructs the church to welcome him back because he's repented of the sin. Um, and so it's not some like, I'm, uh, I'm handing you over to be tortured and tormented uh, in, in some kind of sinister way. It's to experience what is life outside of, uh, I guess you could say, God's domain, which the church mm -hmm. is uh, in some degree kind of the kingdom of heaven established in the earth. Um, and to be outside of that community of faith is to experience um, life outside of, you know, kind of where God is mainly at work in the church. Um, so that we would come to the place of recognizing, uh, I, I've, I've messed up. I've made a mistake. And I think the other reference I looked up in first Timothy is, uh, Paul saying that, yeah, it's him in first Timothy one twenty, uh, saying I delivered to Satan. And then this is really important that they may learn not to blaspheme. So it's like this, certainly we don't use this phrase today. And so especially out, you know, outside of Christianity. So it just doesn't make any sense to us. It sounds kind of menacing, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, Satan is the red guy with the horns and you're handing me over to him. Like what's going yeah, it, on it here? It sounds like you're saying go to hell. It, exactly. It sounds mm -hmm. like you're, you're handing someone over to be tortured right. uh, for eternity. Yeah. Which but is, that's actually not, not what Paul not means. Paul, I mean, just reading here, Paul says you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh Right. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So there's this right. whole redemptive hope. For exactly. Him. Hey, yep. everything we're doing inside of the church is not working. Let's put him out. See how mm -hmm. he fares out there in the hope yep. that he will then come back in and his his uh, spirit would be saved. Yeah. And Paul's motivation in that is out of protection for the church because yep. he doesn't want the 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 corruption, not just the acceptance, but the celebration of that sin in the church to be something that permeates throughout the community. Yeah, because then he goes on to say, don't you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, cleans out exactly. the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Yeah. So so that's that's the concern is that having this guy inside the church is having a corrupting effect. We need to put him out, one, to preserve the holiness uh, and the sanctification of the church, but two, uh, in the hope that this person having put out, would then come to his senses and right. come back in repentance and faith. Which, of course, is going to be completely foreign to um, a secular person, uh, I guess, in this in this current age specifically, because the whole motivation for putting somebody out in the first place is suspect to them. Um, because is is sleeping with your stepmom actually sinful, right? And in the... in a No, I'm not asking you. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking that as a rhetorical question that I think would be asked... Um, in yeah. you know our very yeah. kind of Freudian society, um, and so it really does come down to that. Like you're you're always going to take offense take offense to the idea of something exclusionary if you think that there's no reason for being excluded in the first place. Um, but that to me comes down to a faulty understanding of of sin and uh, how sin should be treated, how God looks at sin. Um, but I guess all things considered, this person who tweeted this really should take someone saying that to them as a compliment, because what they were really yeah. saying is, we're praying that you get routine, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I wouldn't say that necessarily when people use that, they right. have that same intention, motivation. I mean, they're probably yeah. saying, go to hell, or we're done with this. Right. Um, it, it could be an, an evangelicalism that is being 
misconstrued and taken out of context. Yeah, this person sounds like a pretty pugnacious kind of a character, so I'm, I'm sure she gave as good as she got there. Um, First Corinthians 5 is interesting, though. What exactly, what exactly does pugnacious mean? She wants to fight. She's okay. antagonistic. Okay. Got it. She's, she's pugilistic. Um, <laughs> I, I think First um, Corinthians 5 is interesting, though, because... Uh, Paul, this, this is where Paul says in verse 12, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? In other words, uh, there are different standards and there are different expectations for inside of the church. And while we are to be salt and light and hold fast to God's uh, expectations of holiness and righteous living, inside of the church, we don't then uh, in, insist on the world. Uh, we, we don't have this weird expectation that the world are going to be holy and righteous. Um, so I guess that's, that's like a really interesting, when you, when, you, when you think about it, um, I, I think that Christians so often neglect to uphold the standards of righteousness within the church, whilst at the same time uh, trumpeting about their expectations of God's standard of righteousness out of mm. the world. Yep. Um, I, I think Paul had expectations that we would uphold uh, standards of righteousness inside of the church, uh, and we would have a different, uh, different way of, of and, and a wise way a winsome way of operating, um, of, of relating uh, to the world, uh, whilst not compromising on on the truth. So, yeah, I think that nails it really well. It's the, the church is the people of God who've been called to God. Um, just you know, in a similar sense that Israel was called out of the world to God, and the the aim is living God's way as a. Uh, a means not only of what is healthy for humanity, but also as an invitation um, to those who have yet to respond to God's call um, to come into the family of God and to experience life God's way. Um, and that certainly is not the approach that uh, the church has often taken. I, I guess it could come down to, you know, not to get off track here, but in some senses, kind of an overrealized um, eschatology, right? To, to yeah believe that the world is going to abide by some kind of uh, uh, basically what we would um characterize as just biblical values um yeah christian yeah, morality it's, yeah it's amazing how shocked christians get when sinful people behave sinfully mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that we should and and it is particularly in in countries like uh, America and New Zealand, which do have something of a a, a cultural Christian heritage, uh, <laughs> and I I think now the way that we have to think, and this is certainly the way that I'm thinking as a pastor and as a parent, is we have to think of ourselves as exiles in Babylon, right, and not be shocked when the world does Babylonian things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to not be surprised when <laughs> the world has open hostility for <laughs> our values. We have to be prepared to endure scorn, <laughs> hostility, 
animosity, uh, antagonism, uh, yep. persecution, mm-hmm. uh, which which is so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Over the last 40 or 50 years, the church has been the darling mm-hmm. of the West. Uh, we're no longer that. And mm-hmm. um, so we shouldn't be surprised that our, our, our values and... Mm-hmm the kind of the ethos by which we 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 seek to live our lives is 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 not at all um valued out in the marketplace i think that 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 reminds me of um live not by lies a book that we've talked a bit about here um on the podcast and i think one of the reasons i so respect the position in that book is obviously the recognition of everything that you've just said and then the response to that is not oh so we got to fight harder to cram christian belief down the world's throat it's we have to figure out how to live as a world within a world um yeah and absolutely. to me that is a really enticing thing i think the other thing too is worth pointing out is that an overrealized eschatology is not just uh characteristic of some misplaced Christian theology. I think humans in general have a tendency to overrealize their intended end. And uh, I see that in the social justice movement as well. It, it is, uh, you know, when you get down to brass tacks, it is an overrealized eschatology. This is our intended end, and we will not stop until we see the world is just as we define justice. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a fool's errand, and it will, it will only amount to destruction um, and hurt and pain um, to to try and pursue that uh, that end, and so I think part of responsible Christianity um, is realizing that uh, whatever transformation happens in the human heart as a result of becoming a Christian is something that the Holy Spirit does, and that when we receive that free gift, we then live in the gift and we pursue uh, the the gift that's been given to us, and uh, as a result of that. What has been happening for 2,000 years is people see it, are attracted to it, uh, even in today, right, in, in what we would characterize as like a declining church age um, to, in terms of like attendance and things like that in the West. People are still seeing the beauty of, of the church and the beauty of the gospel and being attracted to it all around the world every single day. Um, and I think that a lot of times that can get kind of overlooked um, uh, because of just the, the spirit of the age is quite anti-church, anti-Christ. Well, it's interesting that you say that that uh, sanctification uh, takes place, you know, vi- principally via the work of, of of the Holy Spirit, because I know uh, Mike's view is that it takes place primarily through um, right wing sort of legislation. Yeah. <laughs> the more you the more you read Breitbart and watch Infowars. The better it's the sanctification are. process, yeah. basically. Uh, yeah. There is there is another uh, thing to touch on here, which is is hell uh, in, in in these tweets. Um, obviously, uh, yeah. Um, there, there's some questions there over. Uh, Wouldn't it be giving Satan what he wants if mm-hmm. God actually sent people to hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, um, I, I, don't my... think, I, I don't think Satan's going to find a great deal of pleasure. Uh, in hell by the company. I think Satan is completely without pleasure. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think the reason what characterizes his very nature is the fact that he is he is without joy completely. Mm. Um, and I, I would also say that, uh, and I want to, God doesn't send people to hell. Hell is, and, and this, you could get into a whole discussion on the doctrine of hell, which um, could take you down a lot of different roads. But in essence, hell is the rejection of God. It is 
the rejection of Christ, it's the rejection of the free gift of salvation. Um, and so we, in some ways, send ourselves to hell. We reject Christ and we choose life without Christ. In other words, he says, wouldn't it be giving Satan what he wants? No, it would be God giving us what we want. Mm. If we yeah. want life without God, then God will give us life without him. I, yeah. yeah. I've, I've always really liked the, the idea of, um, like we've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. That is an active work of God in a person's life. The opposite would be a passive, a, a, a passivity. In other words, it's not God actively working to harden a person's heart or to to kind of um, to to create that sort of hardness which leads a person condemns them. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 actually through the absence of God's work, the passivity of God, uh, that that a person uh, effectively. Uh, finds themselves in hell. Um, so it's not as if God does violence. It, it, it is God, as you say, giving us what we want. Um, you, you know, we, we don't want to serve Christ. Uh, we don't want to submit to him as Lord. Well, this is there. Um, I, I think uh, the whole doctrine of hell has come under fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's... It, it, it's an ongoing conversation because people do have a hard time reconciling uh, a just God with the notion of hell. I have a hard time um, reconciling a just God with the notion of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the question to me is not if God is just, how does anyone end up in hell? The question to me is if God is just, how does anyone end up in heaven? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and that's Romans three, right? Yeah, yeah, and and every good thing in my life, to say nothing of heaven, uh, but every good thing in my life is grace. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the way I view view myself. That's the way I view God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the scriptures now, teach. That, well, you know, and um, yeah, my life. A is person can receive life. nothing unless it is given to them from heaven. It's John the Baptist statement about Jesus. Yeah, and and I think we've talked before, Jake, about universalism, which is a very mm-hmm. pervasive and wrong theology. And there is there there is a kind of a quote unquote Christian universalism, which is to say mm-hmm. everybody is ultimately saved through mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. even if and there was that trend of hopeful Christian universalism as opposed mm-hmm. to dogmatic, which is kind of... Yeah, like ul- ultimate redemption type mentality. Yeah, even, even mm-hmm. post-mortem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea, I think, a bad bad reading on C.S. Lewis's hell is a door locked from the inside. Mm. Um, you know, the idea of it being some sort of um, divine after-school detention Mm-hmm. Uh, to which which will eventually wear down the sinner <laughs> unto repentance post mortem and mm-hmm. and bring them into heaven. I, I think we generally agree that that idea is totally bunk. But mm-hmm. the danger the danger is is it's you know there's a part of us that would want it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very dangerous guiding theological mm-hmm. uh, sort of. Uh, 
thought is what do I want to be true? Which is a lot of times what it often comes down to, right? Is, uh, is the idea of I would actually prefer everybody to be saved. Um, and then to, I guess, read that into the biblical text. Mm. Yeah. Then along the continuum, you have annihilationism, mm-hmm. which is, which, which is not an idea without sophistication or merit mm-hmm. because the punish the, the 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 punishment is eternal in nature mm-hmm. um but it's not ongoing conscious torment which is yep. effectively what penal substitutionary atonement is mm-hmm. uh, yep. you, you know uh sorry what am i saying no um, i think you're right and i think that's what's core here is the idea it kind of comes back to the very first uh tweet about um uh, emphasizing God's a- attribute of love, but ignoring everything else that God reveals about himself um, in the scripture, I would say just as important, his justice. And as you say, it is, uh, apart from Christ, an unjust thing for us to receive heaven. Um, we're not deserving of heaven uh, at all. And so I think you make a very good point on uh, on that aspect. The way that I tend to think about it is that w- when it comes to uh, hell um, and punishment for sin. It's not about does God have the capability to forgive, but chooses not to. Like, in other words, can God change his attitude towards sinners so that he just gets over it? Um, it's not actually, that's not really what what biblical forgiveness is ultimately about. Certainly God's attitude is changed towards us um, in Christ. Uh, but even in, in before that change, there's still a love that God has for us. That's why he sent his son, right? That's John three sixteen. But there's also an element of God's justice is not just forgiveness, um, or God's righteousness is not just forgiveness. It's, it's also, uh, punitive. It's punishment that he wouldn't be just if there was no, uh, consequence for us sinning against him. And that's what I see on the cross. And that's what I think there's a lot of merit in substitutionary atonement is the idea that it's, um, Jesus isn't just changing God's attitude towards us as though he like needed to get in the way of, you know, our angry father. That's not what substitutionary atonement is about. It is about that we owed God a very real debt. And this is what I see in, in, uh, in Romans three, I think, um, William Lane Craig's book, atonement and the death of Christ, uh, is a, a really great resource. Um, but that, that is justice in the sense that the, the, the penalty is paid. Um, and so it really does come down to, do we want to pay the penalty ourselves or do we want Christ to have paid the penalty on our behalf? Yeah, well, exactly. And ultimately all sin is punished either Mm -hmm. by Christ vicariously on the cross or by Mm -hmm. the sinner in hell for eternity. In Mm -hmm. that way, justice is executed. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's these tweets seem remarkably cavalier. It, it mm-hmm. seems as if the person here, uh, the, the, the people here in these tweets um, have no real fear of God. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, when I read mm-hmm. them, I, you know, I, I, I feel fearful, sad yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, it tends to put me in despair. Um, and and I, I think so often they are just made up of straw man arguments. They're not actually great representations of what uh, Christianity actually believes. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be rooted in real experiences that they've had with Christians that has left them feeling harmed or hurt. Um, but even in that, the, I think the invitation needs to be um, to learn the truth of what the Bible actually says and to live in the truth because living in the truth is where ultimate freedom and peace and joy are going to be found. 
Yeah. Michael, you, you've been very quiet. No, I'm just uh, just taking it all in. Just taking it all in. That was great. We uh, have another interview that we're about to start in uh, just a minute. And it's presence, like physically there. It is. It's very intimidating. <laughs> all right, we got to wrap it it's up. It's very intimidating. That was awesome, guys. Seriously. Thank you, Steve. Good chat. That was great. You guys were when, awesome. When are we going to start recording the show? <laughs> oh, that was just a warm-up. Yeah, we're going to start recording right now. You ready? No. Okay, Steve, you're amazing. We love, we you. love you. We got to record another one.